Are you a hybrid athlete who wants to learn more about how to combine your strength and endurance training? Well, I've written a new book, The Science of Hybrid Training. In this book, I provide insight into the misconceptions surrounding strength and endurance training by distilling the past 50 years of research and drawing on the conversations I had with great scientists, coaches, and athletes on the Progress Theory podcast. This book is essential reading for hybrid athletes and coaches who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Right. Is it filming? Still filming. It doesn't matter. We just, I've just left it running. Oh, really? Yeah, so when we're ready to start, that's the key. Then I just go, there's your, there's your skills. Yeah. That's what um, I'm going And I'm going to do this as well. I'm going to start recording here. It's off. Right, this is... Um, no, this is, um, what would we call this? This is intro, take one. Mm-hmm. Intro, take one. Don't think about it. Just start speaking, like Rogan. So we're live. We're live. <laughs> Is that what they do? They clap, don't they? They go, clap, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. Rolling. So we're rolling. Phil Price, what's happening? Right. It's our first proper uh, challenge because I'm involved this time. I know. No, I'm glad. <laughs> it's, not, it's not just me climbing stairs this time. Yeah, um, I'm glad you did that one on your own. But um, I feel like you were a part of it. You yeah. feel like you were a part of it, right? It was, oh, it was a team challenge, so... Certainly, um, well, just about how that challenge came about. Because you've made suggestions and you're umming and ahhing about it. But then, hey, mate, what are you doing? Yeah, right. <laughs> it didn't take much coaxing into doing it. No, but then once you, you had coaxed me into doing it. Um, that was it. That was it. You were gone. I was gone and then you kept on keeping me uh, on the straight and narrow. Yeah. I could feel you were like, don't get sidetracked and I want to abort the mission. So here's some more, uh, here's some more intel. Like here's some more info. It was great. Just keeping me on the right line, and we got it done. So, well, you, mate, with the the stuff that I wrote for you leading up to the challenge, you were pretty busy. Mm. Like even with like specific rest times, mm. um, or events, or like I want you doing this on day one, this on day two, ease up. Day four, day five, ease up. Like uh, you had something to do. So you were. You had to be full in because you... I had to be all in. I had to be all in. But it was quite a severe challenge. So it was. Just, uh, it was. And it's really the uh, genesis of... Everything that we see here. Everything you're seeing here. So, this is the Progress Theory podcast. Mm. Do you know what that Progress Theory quote was? I was thinking, of, should we pull it up? Okay, so the okay. reason we came to Progress mm. Theory as a name, we're going to do the whole Jamie, like, we don't have our Jamie yet. One yeah. day we'll have our Jamie, but for now, um, progress theory. So, do you want to read this out? They determined that achieving consistent small wins was the biggest indicator for a rich inner work life. So, putting that into context of sport, we think about developing those key small wins as being consistent. So, whenever we're thinking about programming leading up to a particular challenge, it's all about being consistent, making sure that everything that we're doing, all the small tweaks we're doing with programming are leading to getting a little bit better each day so that we improve linearly, 
leading up to a particular event, and that's gonna that's gonna prepare us for whatever so whatever's, whatever's gonna happen in every challenge. So the plan is each eight weeks, Phil and I are gonna take on a challenge. Sometimes it's gonna be identical. Sometimes it's going to be under the same sort of umbrella, but mm. perhaps slightly different. We're going to get to uh, mm. our first challenge in a minute. Um, but the idea is we're going to plan and execute a challenge every eight weeks and take you along on the journey. It's very simple. Now, we're going to come at this with a sort of slightly different background. Um, those of you that know me know I'm a personal trainer and an actor. So I'm constantly in studios actually teaching. Um, I'm out there all the time training, like doing different sports and and taking on these things, but perhaps not always with the right kind of attention to detail, um, structured programming. I'm quite a sort of, fuck it, let's go. Let's just hit the gym and figure it out. Mm. What you bring to the table is a rich knowledge. Well, you, 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 you tell them... Um, My sort of background. Tell them, tell them your background. So I am the strength and conditioning lecturer at St. Mary's University. Um, so I've been teaching at St Mary's University for over 10 years now. So what I'm hoping to bring to the table is, so whenever you are developing a programme for any particular sport or challenge, you're utilising sort of scientific literature, your own experiences, your knowledge of the situation, you know, your work relationship with, with any athlete, and trying to come up with a programme which you think is going to be appropriate for that athlete. So it's all about those little details like, okay, the science says this, do we go with it? Do we not because of certain situations? Uh, everything is just a guideline and we're making decisions based on the information that's presented to us mm -hmm. to see, okay, what do we think is best for us for training up to this challenge? So I guess my side of it is bringing a little bit more detail around the decision-making towards mm -hmm. the programming for the events. And this is what happened um, in the sort of stair challenge. It's like, I had the gung-ho, like, let's go, I'll figure it out. And Phil sort of was the one to bring it back down, look at the science, look at the data, and actually come up with a plan for me. So I had some structure to my efforts. You guys probably know me a little bit, like I'm quite sort of, just, just go for it, we'll figure it out on the fly. I, I don't really keep diaries and have much sort of organizational skill. But our combination, I believe, would be a good kind of basis to work from because there's going to be many of you at home who are thinking about, oh, I could do that or I'd like to do that. How do I do it? How do I go about starting it, training for it, mm. completing it, hopefully, reflecting upon it, which is a big thing for me, to take a moment at the end of any of these things to say, right, how did it go? What hurt? What didn't? How did I feel mentally? What did I find I enjoyed? What did I not like? So I'm constantly evolving as both like an athlete and a trainer. Um, so we've come up with our first challenge. Now, given the circumstances we find ourselves in, mm. um, we tried to pick one that was both interesting and accessible. So if, as we're hoping, people actually listen to this and go, fuck it, I'm going to do the same thing. Mm. I want to like join these boys on the ride and I'll follow their structure and their journey. Obviously, there'll need to be tweaks. It was no point saying we want to take up cross-country skiing. It, unfortunately. Like, unfortunately, I'm down for it at some point along the journey. Yeah, but we thought the simple one was running. So. So and this is where we're slightly different, isn't it? This is where under the same umbrella of running, we're actually going to attempt two different challenges. Mm. Um, 
And hopefully you guys are going to pick one and do the same thing. Mm. So, Phil, your challenge. So my challenge is a 5K run in under 20 minutes. Which seems to be a bit of a benchmark for a lot of people yeah. getting into running. Uh, done a few times, they might hit around 25, 26 minutes and think, okay, what's the sort of amateur benchmark for becoming a runner? And it seems to be the 20, 20 minute mark. Yeah. So that's something I've never got anywhere near before. So mate, in eight weeks, that's, that's a test. Um, I'm going to try and attempt to run 10 kilometers in under 40 minutes. <laughs> Which is so much harder. Yeah. Because well, it's the well, same look, thing. I, I, come, I come from more of a run, running-ish background. Running would be my preferable form of exercise over most things. Mm. I mean, I'm not a big weights guy. I do it, but I'm not a big weights guy. So I have run in the past um, sub 20 minute 5Ks. Now my challenge is, can I push it a little bit further? So can you hold on? Can I hold on? Can I just double it? <laughs> so um, that's the plan. We're going to try and attempt to run a 10K in under 40 minutes for me. We're going to attempt to run a 5K in under 20 minutes. And we're hoping you guys go, right, I'm in. So many clients, by the way, so many clients, uh, I don't know about your students, I'm not sure, but have come to me and go, just really trying to run that sub, you know, sub 20 minute, I'm at, you know, 21 minutes, 50, you got any tips? And I was thinking in my head, the more this kind of isolation period went on, I was like, there's loads of tips. I can help you out big time. But it, it's more than an Instagram message, more than an email, mm. more than a quick conversation in a coffee shop. So now's your chance, people. Mm. Tune in. I think right? One of the key things to mention is that we will detail our training program and how we made decisions to make that training program. Yeah. But the key thing is, you probably wouldn't necessarily copy our training program mm -hmm. detail to detail, but hopefully you will see how we made decisions on creating it so you can use those decisions to uh, influence your own programming leading to your own challenge. So whether it is 5K or 10K, following our process, that will be able to create an individualized program for yourself. Spot on. That's far more articulate way. That's the, that, I think that's the key thing of what we're aiming to do is the listeners gain skills, programming skills. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, people are going to have injuries. People are going to be coming at this from all different levels of experience. Some of you might be like me. Look, I've done sub 25K. I'm looking to push it. Now you can mm. take those same kind of tools and ideas <clears> that me and Phil are going to work on for me and apply them. There are going to be people that have probably never run. I'm trying to get my mother to do Phil's program. Or, or mm. take take what Phil is doing, apply it to her own lifestyle, you know, physical condition, and attempt to try and do something similar. So yeah, it's not going to be a like for like, just copy what we do. It's going to be, here's how we've come to that decision. Hopefully you can come to your own decision based on the knowledge that particularly Phil is going to give us. And then um, go out and execute. And over an eight week course, we want to see how close we can get. And we're perfectly willing to admit now, may not happen. May not happen. If we fail, if I fall you know, big time, five minutes off, you're going to hear about it. You're going to hear why, and we're going to come to a conclusion as to what we would tweak if we did it again, what worked, what didn't, and just take you along for the journey, you know? We're not here to try and preach. We just want you to come on the journey. And if any of this helps, or there's some nuggets of information you can pull to improve your performance, then that's our job done. So Th Those are the podcasts that I'm looking forward to the most, the reflections. The reflections, yeah. Because, like... These challenges could get more and more extreme, so the chances of us mm. failing are even higher. So us reflecting isn't, oh, we were just unlucky on the day. It's okay, how or what within our preparation 
went wrong. So for example, if we went through an eight week program and we, one of us, fingers crossed, tough wood, gets injured on week six, it's like, okay, why did we get injured? That, the first thing you must think of is that, okay, maybe the training program was inappropriate and that led to some form of stress which the body broke down. So that is really something to think about. Mm -hmm. um, if we're making decisions, some of the best information you can use for making future decisions is where things went wrong in the past. Absolutely. So I think it's going to be a huge learning, <laughs> learning experience yeah. for both of us. Yeah, and both learning from a physical point of view actually doing this and also you gotta understand like this is the first time you've ever done anything like this set up a camera got a mic so we're learning how to put this together in a format that's easily accessible to you guys mm. um and anyone listening or watching or whatever i yeah I mean, so it's... this is all a work in progress we're going to give it a damn good shot and hopefully this can be the start of something great so and spread the message yeah spread like, the message please if you enjoyed this podcast you know <laughs> Say forward it now, on yeah. forward it on to all your friends Parents, grandparents, don't mind. <laughs> but what we're available on Spotify, Apple. Definitely check out our uh, YouTube. If you're watching this, check out our YouTube channel because we're putting everything up as uh, as videos. It isn't just a podcast. Mm. It's technically what we wanted is this to be a show. So it's yeah. just different ways of tuning in. And if you can use the video, I know that at various different points you're going to have graphs and charts and you know, various different things that would be really beneficial to look at and not just here. So I'd encourage you to watch it as well. Um, but certainly just get hold of it somehow. Bang it in the headphones on your way to work. That'll do. Yeah, well, I'll try and keep the, the visuals to what is necessary. What is necessary, yeah. And you're not going to get fireworks and big, like, snazzy intros. Oh. You're just going <laughs> to... <laughs> the pyrotechnics <laughs> go off. Bill comes in the room to Metallica. <laughs> sits down 5k from <laughs> Catherine Will like kind of the side yeah. um, so how do you want to break this down today um, I mean we've discussed why 5 and 10k is mm. probably quite a realistic if we want to get ahead of ourselves but quite an appropriate challenge mm. for both people at home people of our ability I think there's two kind of options there um, that might be a good thing to discuss actually like okay. why have we chosen I mean, we kind of said 20 minute 5k, okay, because it's kind of a like, well-known benchmark within running, <laughs> but... Why is it a well-known benchmark within running? Not necessarily that, but we'd have to choose that, because I still think there's a shot that I could do it. Like, if, oh, I, yeah, if yeah, I said 16 minute 5k, not a chance, yeah. one, I'm too heavy, but there must be a reason why like, I physically think I'm capable of potentially doing it mm. and doing it in eight weeks mm. so my best ever 5k is 22 minutes mm -hmm. and that was at a park run you know in park runs where they have uh, certain runners with a vest and they've got a number on the back yeah so i saw the guy with 22 and i just clung to him yeah yeah yeah. oh, oh like, whole... a, like a pacemaker yeah oh, i right, clung, clung to, to the 22 yeah. and that's where i got my 22 5k I was blowing over the... Here's the answer. I'll run round with 1959 on my back <laughs> and just get into toe along. <laughs> Whatever it takes. <laughs> Whatever it takes. The program, um, but we also talk strategy. Strategy for sure. Strategy for sure. That came into play big yeah. time on the stairs. Get those vapor And again, <laughs> yeah, those Nike bounce ones. along. If Nike want to send us some of them, that'd be yeah, great. Cheers. Um, and 40K again for me. Like I've done the 20K thing. Um, 
I'm in no way, well, there is no way I'm up to physical sort of levels I wish I was. I'm still recovering from the stairs, everything hurts a little bit, incredibly busy. So I'm coming at this from a sort of, sort of mid-level fitness. I've been way fitter, I've been way worse. I'm kind of at the middle le le sort of level here. Um, I've never run sub uh, 40 minute 20, uh, 10K. Um, I think my best is 42, 28. A significant amount of time, that's two and a half minutes, you know. Mm. Um, so that's quite cool. I'm two minutes away, you're two and a half minutes away. There you go. Similar. There you go. And it's not a competition, guys. By the way, just get this in your head. This is not going to be Phil versus Freddie. You made it. I didn't. Fuck. You know, Phil wins one point. You know, like... <laughs> There's a whiteboard here. We could show sure. something. If, if I win, he buys the Nandos. Yeah. But, but this is not a competition. This is simply just a project. Um, and that is interesting, though. I've never... Because I never had to really think what was my best time. But I think it was 42.28. Mm. Still a good time. Thank you. Still a good time. Thank you. But... Uh... Like the more and more you those are rookie numbers. Let's bring them down. Yeah, exactly. Let's bring them down. Yeah, I guess in the amateur running, it's a good time, and then you, when you see what the elites are doing, mm. like, didn't even know things that was possible. Dude, I was watching. Uh, you know, through all this period, like professional football leagues <clears throat> have been posting stuff. Mm. I went out. I managed to just about get a sub. What is it? I'm confused. I get a sub twenty minute five k, mm. and then a couple of football players, including Ross Barkley, who's obviously a Chelsea player. 16 minutes 12 mm. something outrageous i mean he's quite a fit guy and it made me think i was like god people are running real quick mm. you know you give footballers like oh they get paid all this money and are they even that good i mean anyone running 16 minutes ish i mean that's like the national qualifying kind of time so um that really kicked me into gear you know what i mean i was like this can be done these mm. these people exist they're out there they're in front of us just get down to it just so I've been really excited to run. I've actually been, both of us, actually mm. putting the brakes on. Um, I think the plan is we're going to go out and do like a, a run, like a baseline. Where are we at right now? Mm. Is that correct? That was the aim. We're going to do that this uh, weekend. So the, the next podcast, we're going to talk more about the actual programming. Mm -hmm. Am I right? Yeah. So we're going to talk about what it takes to be good at running. Mm -hmm. uh, and then next week was going to be focused on programming. Mm -hmm. Uh, then the weekend after, week after that is going to be on sort of strength and conditioning training to supplement your running. Uh, and then a final one, we're going to do a podcast on sort of reflections and how the training's been going, um, which will probably add a little bit with each yeah, podcast. Yeah. But, uh, and then a one on strategy, maybe even, a, you know, equipment that we're using, mm -hmm. you know, because we are probably at that point, we're about one to two weeks away from doing the retest. Mm -hmm. So we need to know that we're in the right position to do so because even things like the track that you use is going to make a massive difference yeah footwear all these things are so vital mm. and getting hold of a track at the moment yeah is really quite difficult maybe we won't have that luxury in which case play on we can't mm. do anything about that not going to make no. an excuse this is the challenge eight weeks but if we're honest of like say if you did your 10k trial at the beginning and got a certain time but it was through richmond park and then you did the retest on a track mm. You'd have As to you use, get lower, yeah. you would understand, okay, some of that decrease in time will be from the fact that you changed the, the track that you used. Absolutely. But you'd like to think the training program also contributed to that mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, Don't get me wrong, if you suddenly go from 42 minutes 28 to yeah. whatever it is, 37, it's more than the track. But if you beat your score by about, or beat your time by about 10 seconds, mm. there's an argument there. Mm. 
But, but why don't... So the first thing you said is, with games, what makes a good runner? Like, what makes a good runner? Now, this is where I don't know. I don't know. I thought I'm a good runner. I guess hard work, good technique. You know, I know the basics, where you land your foot, keep your shoulders nice and broad. Like, but take us through okay. what makes a good runner, what we're going to... Well, you just fly. I want to yeah. hear what you have to say. Well, I try and see it that there's almost like three different pillars. Uh, you could probably go into a bit more detail of what I, I'm about to say, but I want to try and make it generic as possible because it, then it breaks down in the approach that we might start using. Mm -hmm. So the three pillars that I think are going to lead towards improvements or your endurance performance are your VO2 max, so your ability to utilise oxygen, uh, your lactate threshold or your velocity at VO2 max where your lactate threshold is, so you know how when you're when you're exercising, the body's producing sort of waste products and lactate is one of them, and that can uh, that starts to rise very steadily and then has a some steep curve, which we'll go into a bit more detail in a second, but that's also one. Mm -hmm. And then your running economy. So if you try and see your running economy as, say you've got athlete A, who's producing a certain amount of energy, running at 12 meters per second, and then you've got athlete B, who's running at 14 meters per second, but utilising the same energy, clearly the athlete A, uh, B, sorry, is much more economical because they're running at a faster speed but utilising the same amount of energy to That's do so. Yeah. So efficiency. Yeah. Yes, yeah, your, your efficiency. But that efficiency can quite often come from a variety of different sources. So it's like metabolic efficiency, your ability to utilise the energy systems. But people often see it as more sort of neuromuscular efficiency. So your ability to, I kind of see it as how you're acting like a spring. So the more you act like a spring, the less energy that you utilise. Because if you're, say you're utilising a lot of musculature to generate force each step, that, that utilises quite a lot of energy. Whereas if you're utilising or have the ability to uh, utilise the passive structures a bit more, so you're, when I mean passive structures, I'm thinking more thinking like connected tissue around tendons, that sort of thing. That kind of acts like a, an elastic band in a yeah. way. Is that, that store and return of elastic energy. That doesn't actually um, have a, a metabolic cost with it. Yeah. So the more bouncy you are, There's the no less... cost to that. Yeah. So we're just essentially squeezing a little bit more out of the energy given, mm. whether it's jumping high or running further. Yeah, that makes sense. The, the, the more you can do for the less energy that you're doing yeah. to create it, that's yeah. even better. Yeah. Uh, and there's always a bit of arguments about which pillar is more important. Um, <clears throat> and it really kind of depends because if we think about us, like running, any type of running training is probably going to improve all three pillars mm -hmm. um, just because we haven't really reached our ceiling yet. And there are going to be genetic factors which affect that ceiling. So the, a good example is that VO2 max. Like typically... Um, say you've got an endurance runner who's been endurance running for, for years throughout their teens uh, and then reach the professional ranks once they hit 18 and they go on to have an endurance career. Typically their VO2 max will plateau towards their late teens, early 20s. So their VO2 max, despite all the training that they're doing, doesn't actually get any higher. So because of that, they've reached their sort of like genetic potential for how much oxygen they can utilise. Right. So if that athlete is going to get any better, he has to work on the other two pillars. 
So one is your ability to clear lactate, and then the other one is your running economy. So how how and it's very generic, I understand, very quite yeah, crude yeah. actually, but how bouncy that you can yeah. be. Mm -hmm. um, so that's where a lot of, um, you know, especially in the last ten years, I'd say, the importance of strength and conditioning training has really shown. Like good runners in studies have shown improvements in running performance at a variety of different distances just from eight weeks of strength conditioning training. Now, if you think of a runner's career, that eight weeks is hardly any time at all. The body takes time to adapt to different things. So if they're seeing such markedly improvements in such a short time because of strength training, it just shows how important running economy can be. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's an area where we're gonna yeah. really develop on, I think. Yeah, I mean, as, I'm, as I say, like I have some knowledge with this, I would imagine that there'd be some improvement, but, Mm. if what you're saying is correct like that might be a neglected part of running training you know for example clients come to me i'm training for a marathon i guess in the past i wouldn't have been so quick to say strength conditioning is a fundamental pillar of this process mm. i'd have said you want to get better at running just run mm. here's a few exercises do a bit of this do long runs do short runs different heart rates but don't worry about lifting weights mm. so well, this is the kind of stuff i'm learning as well you your know sp specific strength qualities are mostly going to come from your running but it's that additional stuff that you can add that's going to have that next level to your overall running ability and it's kind of changing especially in the last five years just people are kind of understanding just how important strength and conditioning is um but it comes from like a, a history of runners just ran um and quite often if they're a long distance runner they just did long distance running mm -hmm. Whereas now people are utilizing, you know, like faster interval training, tempo runs with their long distance running, they're utilizing strength and conditioning. And that provides the, a, a range of different stresses because you run at faster speeds, you're right. gonna have to produce force more quickly. So the body has to adapt to that. So it, it creates uh, a physical body that is enabling to, to do so. As long as you can produce, fast, produce forces fast against the ground and do it really economically, you're going to be Right, yeah, a, yeah. A good runner. <clears throat> and how would how would one measure some of these things? Like uh, when we come to sort of take assessments of this, mm. um, is it something that they should just that people or, or or one would continuously just check timings, just see look look I'm doing strength training, my times are dropping, mm. or is there a physical like study or test that one can do to kind of establish some levels? Yeah, um, I mean. There are a number of variables you could potentially use to guide training. Um, the more uh, accurate the, the data that you might collect, the more you probably need to get into a lab. More testing procedures are getting better in the field, but quite often they'll test in the lab and then use those markers to then determine uh, certain paces, that sort of thing. Right. Um, so, for example, um, it seems to be the bane of every sports science student, uh, like a VO2 max test, where this can be done on a running machine, it can be done on a, um, on a bike, uh, but they've obviously got the mask and they've got the Douglas yeah, yeah, bags yeah, yeah, yeah. and they are measuring the, their ventilation, so what mm -hmm. they're expiring, what they're inspiring, uh, and they, they slowly, progressively increase the amount of intensity and they turn to get an overview of what their VO2 max is. So that's your, that's your limit at that point of how much oxygen you can utilise. Right. Um, 
Lactate is a little bit different. So kind of do a very similar test, but you can then get different things that actually measure the lactate in the body. So have you seen, uh, quite often it's like a- Pinprick, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they get it from the earlobe, sometimes it's from the it's finger. Like, like a glucose monitor for a diabetic, right? There's a, there's a in actual, a certain way. yeah. Yeah, so they're utilizing- And they're that. actually drawing out blood. Yeah. A small, fra okay. small fraction of blood, and that will tell you how many um, millimoles are actually of lactate. Say that word again? Millimoles. Millimoles, so, so that's Millimoles per litre. So that's the measure. Okay, cool. So that's so that's at increments at different speeds. Right. You're getting a measure of what the um, uh, lactate is in the bloodstream. Okay. So you're finding that point where it starts to curve up. Actually, where's Jamie when we need him? I've actually got a little. Hey Jamie, pull it up. I've actually got a little graph. Pull it up. Yeah, show us the graph. Here we go. That's why we aren't prepared. <laughs> Wait. Uh, can we see? I can see it. Can I'll you see that? Forward, yeah, you explain this to the crew. Okay, so here are the lactate being measured as the athlete is going through different running velocities. Mm -hmm. So it's getting faster and you can see there's a change. So you've got an initial point here where the lactate technically... It, oh, oh that? that? That's the Wi-Fi, mate. The up. lactate is technically increasing but it's very gradual and it's very linear mm. we're almost to the point where it looks like it's flat so that point yeah. that's the point where your lactate, lactate threshold where you can withhold that level of work that, without going like into the red you know, yes or, kind, kind of um because the red's up here and i'll show you what I, I mean so here we've got the lactate threshold as you said okay so that is the point where it starts to rise exponentially so this point here, you've got a point where your body through um, the energy systems that it's utilizing is producing lactate, but the body has an ability to clear it. Okay, so it's not really rising that. Yeah, much. so every time you add something, the body can get rid of it quicker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then it will it's hit like a, a cycle. Mm, then it will hit a point where it starts to struggle and it starts to increase exponentially. So that's where the, the familiar term of lactate threshold comes in. So that's there. So you go through this portion here where it's not as severe, the curve, but it's still increasing exponentially. So you go through this period of lactate accommodation where the amount of clearance is nowhere near as good. So it's starting to increase. Yep. But the body almost can deal with it. It's just, it's gradually getting mm. greater. So it's kind of getting used to it. It's not clearing it enough, but it's been able and to eventually, do it. It would shut down the body entirely if we went on for it, you know. And that's when we get. That's where we get the next bit. So this is the lactate turn point. So to a point here where the body is producing so much lactate that it's you know it's rising exponentially uh, to the point where the body really doesn't have enough ability to try and clear it. It's really quite struggling. It's shooting up. Okay. So typically, when it comes to you know, I say millimoles here, millimoles per liter. Mm -hmm. So typically the lactate threshold, this varies from person to person, but it tends to happen around two. And you get the lactate uh, turn point occurring around four. Now this lactate can really shoot up to like eight, nine. So it's almost like doubling in such a short space. Mm. So that shows how much it's really um, increasing. Um, but you can also kind of show it in this sense so this is often called the uh, aerobic threshold right because anything underneath it you're utilizing the oxidative system very effectively 
you go past that, the body starts to struggle and starts to utilize the glycolytic system. So it's utilizing glucose in the liver, the muscle, the bloodstream, it's trying to find energy. It's moving too quick, uh, so the body is trying to find different energy systems to help yeah. it. Yeah. Then you get to this lactate turn point, what is often called the anaerobic threshold. Um, that's the point where, like, you're, you're, you're really utilizing um, mainly uh, glycolytic energy systems. Like the body can't, it's not really using any oxidative system, it's getting everything from the anaerobic systems. Right. So that's the point here. So this is what I quite like, is because it kind of highlights three areas that you could potentially train. Click this here. There you go, now go to your next slide. Hey, so cool. we've always got like three zones. Yeah. So you've got zone one where you've got, where you know, you're working predominantly your oxidative system. Zone two, where you might be working more um, uh, sort of lactate accommodation. Yeah. And you've got zone three, which is very much like your intervals. You know, you're running so fast that you can only maintain that speed for a certain amount of time. Right. So that's why they're intervals. So this is quite nice because you kind of can separate your, your types of running sessions into these three areas. Now, we'll talk about a bit more about it when it comes to the programming or ne next time. Um, because you've got this is great man you've got this is really interesting uh, there's a lot of this but I know people would assume I know this I don't I'm not, some of it obviously I'm familiar with but this is really interesting stuff for yeah. me to learn this is um, well there's different strategies of what you can do so you can either do like a certain percentage of running here certain percentage here certain percentage here right. or there's something called polarised training where you're literally working zone 1 and 3 and you don't work in zone 2 so that would be more like hit um, Tabata some kind of on off as opposed to a nice smooth wave it's more of a dramatic shift i don't know could you give I, us an example of what did you call it per, the training the type of training you oh, said polarized training yeah is there a can you give like what would be a good example of polarized training mm. um i mean from like a running sense you've got the all the slow long distance stuff mm -hmm. from zone five and then you've got all the like um Tempo runs, you deliberately do it so it's in a like a heart rate zone where you know you're going to be hitting zone three, and the same with your intervals. Right. So that's like an example. So you never spend an ex extended period of time in zone two. Mm. You're just moving through it and back down through it. Exactly that. Okay. So the idea is that if you spend too much time in zone two and zone three, that level of intensity is or accumulate is too yeah. much. The accumulation of that intensity is too much. Mm -hmm. So that's why we should do polarized. Have you heard of West Side Barbell? Uh, you may no. have heard of it. Um, so they do a, uh, a start of training where they'll have like a max day and then they'll have a speed day where they'll be working with like 40-50% of their, um, uh, their one RMs, for example. So it's almost like, I wouldn't say it's your easy day because technically they're working on speed, you know, it's lighter weight, so that means they can move it quicker. Mm -hmm. So they're mm -hmm. working on those qualities. But there's a similarity where you've got like your, the lighter loads and you've got very heavy loads. Mm. There's nothing in between. Yeah, there's no kind of medium. So, yeah. So with hit, I kind of see it as like interval because the idea is that you're working really hard and stop. So it's kind of an interval training. So that would probably count here. If you think about what the average heart rate is for the whole session, it's probably going to be in the middle because you're either really high or really low. Because mm. It depends how well you recover, but that's where you might think. And then in the example of the stairs, probably not much more than zone one. 
Yeah, the stairs we Keeping wanted to do in zone very one. low heart rate. We never wanted my legs to start burning. We just wanted to find a smooth and controlled rhythm that was able to be maintained for a huge period of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Forget an hour. So that's <laughs> interesting. Now I look back and think, ah, oh, I see why you gave me certain drills, certain heart rates to try and hit yeah, because yeah. you wanted me to stay within that I wanted below the lactate threshold. Almost to the point, because your average heart rate was around 90, wasn't it? You were almost in... When I was working, the average <laughs> heart rate, when I, yeah, can you imagine just spending your, my life so much coffee? <laughs> yeah. Hummingbird. Yeah. Um, Hummingbird. But I guess that was sticking you and keeping you in that warm-up zone. Because if we know you went up a zone, yeah, the same yeah, amount yeah, of stairs, yeah, yeah. you're like, something's up here. So It all makes sense now. So what's cool about this, and why, one of the reasons why I wanted to highlight this one, is that we've got heart rate being plotted mm. up here. So what quite hap what happens is you can probably get a rough idea of where your lactate threshold is um, from the use of um, garments. So they do a, they do a calculation. All other heart rate monitors. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Really not want to throw me yeah. a couple watches. We're cool. So. Take us through the take us through the smartwatch. Well, what the smartwatches do? <laughs> we never ever never heard of another brand. Smartwatch. Any chicken establishment that serves you know, like Portuguese peri peri. <laughs> We're not going there later, are we? No. <laughs> um, um, so they. So say you're running a ten k, and you might be quite variable within that. But what it does, it takes periods of time where you would be consistent and it takes what speed you're going what your heart rate is uh, and it actually makes a calculation it makes an indirect uh, estimation of what your vo2 max is and your where your lactate threshold is right. what's quite interesting about the g word <laughs> just because i have yeah, one the garmin watch yeah no no this i have the full seriousness yeah the this is the forerunner Garmin that you, and it has this functionality built in. Yes. Um, so there's your answer. Instead of paying for a science lab and getting someone to put the full bane on, these might be yeah, they, useful in getting us some kind of data to work us. Yeah. So it's given me uh, a point where my lactate threshold is, but it's given me the answer in my heart rate and at the speed at which I need to maintain to actually get to that point. Yeah. So it was uh, 165 beats per minute, which works out to be around 88% of my max heart rate. Right. Um, which I thought was quite high, but you start to see that you can use this as an example. Like, this is really cool. So here's 180 beats per minute. There's the lactate um, turn point. You know, it's just a little bit, you know, it's, you can't really see, but, and there's the lactate. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very narrow. Just so. a couple of beats per minute exactly. and you, you've crossed a real different line. Mm. So here, for, this looks like about 160 and its max is 180. That's really quite a small window from going from lactate threshold to there. So they're giving you information based on heart rate and speeds. Now, I think that for amateur runners is quite a good level of information. It's probably not the most accurate, but it's something where you can base training off to improve right which is what we were going to do as right. well mm -hmm. um because that's we can't get that you know i work at some areas but we can't get access to their lab they're not working at the moment mm -hmm. so 
you know, we're not going to utilize that information. We're going to utilize information that we can get hold of. Right. And one of the key things I thought was quite important so we can utilize um, uh, heart rate information and obviously understand what the speed was as well. So I've actually taken uh, my ideas from a particular research paper. Let me just get it out. So there are three Norwegian champions in running, mainly around the 1500 meters, the Ingebrigtsen uh, brothers. <laughs> and <clears throat> this particular paper, where is it made? It is the International Journal of Sports Science and Coaching. Mm -hmm. They actually detail the uh, training that they did, which is really quite handy. Wow. So if I so all, hang on. so all three brothers were like European champions, like top end. Some breeding. That's, yeah, yeah, that is good. Well, what's cool about this particular one? There's probably well, a fourth brother who's not talking about. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a, a sister who's also sister. pretty good at running. Oh, really? But it, it, what's quite cool about this, and probably why it's in a coaching journal, is that it gives a, an overview of what they did when they were kids. So, like, mm. one was a bit more focused on football. One, the younger brother, who seems to have the most um, uh, success is that his older brothers were already at elite standard when he was getting into it when he was 13. Yeah, so he was running models, with them. Yeah. So, you know, all of a sudden your perception of what is good has changed. It's gone up a level. So he's in the perfect environment to get better. So that's what's quite interesting. But here is... We'll throw that in wherever we upload this. We'll also put maybe some links. Unless this is like... Is this a paid journal? It might we'll, be. We'll try and find some relevant... Mm. info on this so you'll be able to find it on google out. scholar whether you can get access to it i can't remember hopefully more and more journals are becoming more uh free 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 yeah. yeah um so our best yeah so they've got certain intensity zones so they've got their so if you want to go for a long jog mm -hmm. the majority of your training will be long slow easy runs try and see them as easy rather than slow mm. uh, and typically um they occur within a range of around 62 to 82 percent of your heart rate so it's quite a range but i think that's quite nice and what's good about working within ranges is that your heart rate is going to be affected by a number of factors which makes it sometimes difficult to gauge training but such as temperature temperature yeah uh, terrain caffeine um, things like yeah, that external caffeine, like... yeah certainly um or does that not really affect the performance well, there's a lot to show caffeine has quite a positive effect on the performance. To be discussed. Whether that leads to like, oh, that increased heart rate uh, compared to, I don't know. Although there was, at, at St. Mary's, there's a the temperature, there's a terrain, to to. these things can affect heart rate. Mm. Well, if you, right. of course, yeah. I mean, no, you if say, if you, like, there's, there's, if you've had like an argument with your partner the night before and you wake up the next day, it's like, oh, I had a really bad sleep. Because you know you're always thinking about is like the poor relations with your your partner. That's shown to have an increase in heart rate. Mm, like course. it certainly increases stress. your yes any type of stress. So if you go into an easy run with a higher stress level than normal, that's going to affect it. So it's quite nice working at ranges. So as long as it's easy or it's seen as you can remain in conversation with someone you're running with, that's kind of the base but level. That's, yeah. And if you look at their training, their average heart rate is around 130, which works out to be around 70 percent. So it's quite a good thing to aim. So if you've got like a smartwatch and you, whenever I run, I just have the heart rate up. I don't really, if I've got an easy run, 
I don't look at like the distance. Yeah, I don't look at time. I, I don't look at that. Yeah, I look at my heart rate because I'm like, I want to be around seventy percent. Okay, it's around that. And how would one work out their max heart rate? Uh, with the um, what's the what's the um? There must be various different tests there's and stuff. Yeah, like there's different I've tests. I've done lactate threshold tests on bikes and things like that, and I've also just set off on a bike and said, right, can I get my heart rate over yeah, two hundred? Yeah. I was literally like, I want to just get it going. Well, there's the, the, there's I the don't know what my max heart rate would no. be. Well, no there's the, what's, what's the calculation where it's, um, uh, is it 220 monitor age? I've heard these kind of mm. things. I've always heard they're this on wives' tales. If they're true, yeah, then I'm bit, in for it. But And we'll, I think we'll, that's... We'll find that out. We'll find that mm. out. Um, because I've always been curious about that. You know, you said 70% um, of my max heart rate. And I was going, what's 70% of mine? Mm. I don't know what my max is, so I can't do the max. The maths. Um, so that's something I need to figure out soonish. What's quite handy is that that will give that estimate because you put this will in, give that estimate. Yeah, because you put in your details like height, weight, age. Mm -hmm. It then utilizes that information to get this. Mm. Whether how accurate that is, does I, it? You'd does like it matter because it's relative. Like if, as long as it's seventy percent of that. Mm. Well, yeah, you're consistent, and if you're working within a range, you should fit into that range anyway. And if you realise you're running at seventy percent of that, and you feel like you can have conversations yeah. and things like that, you can potentially push that yeah. barrier a little more. But at the same, if you follow the whole, I just want to be conversational when I'm running, then that will follow with the heart rate, and then that will follow with the program. Right. So that's probably a good way of of seeing it. Um, and then. What other quite interesting thing is obviously we need to start thinking about okay around our lactate threshold. So if we're doing some kind of polarized training, we want to be above that. So if mine's 165, I need to think about okay, um, what kind of pace do I need to maintain that's going to make to make sure that I maintain my heart rate at that at that level. So intervals is a bit different because you know you're trying to. It's a shorter distance, so you can put more effort into that. Right. Um, so more effort would mean your heart rate's going to go up, and ideally that you want it in that sort of above the lactate um, turn point. So that would technically technically be anything above, I'd say around 92% of your heart rate. So in order to hit that level three and really start pushing it out, you want to be looking around 93% of your max heart mm. rate. Your max heart rate is what? It is 187 I can't be bothered to do the maths, but it's going to be something around That's basically 175, 173. Yeah, you're hitting the 170s. Yeah, that, that's your 93% of your max. So that's, in order to really make those gains and those improvements in that zone, mm. you need to be getting at some point your heart rate up to 173 for a significant period of time. Mm. Nice. Exactly that. So, so and next week, you're going to break, you're going to try and, well, you and I are going to have many conversations between now and then. But mm. for those that were list uh, that are listening or watching, we're going to come up with a program that, that caters to all three pillars. Is that all we're going to try and break them down? I mean, do they all work? Do they all coexist? Can't. As your lactate threshold goes up, does your economy and, you know, VO2 max also play some kind of... Yeah. Technically... It will be the fast sessions that will do that will place the most effect on the VO2 max and the lactate threshold. Because you're training above the lactate threshold, you're forcing your body to 
clear um, lactate more efficiently. So the idea is that even with that graph, you're moving it to the right. Mm -hmm. You want that lactate threshold to so just keep keep pushing. Yeah, pushing, so pushing. you can almost like you're staying at in an oxidative state, but at a higher heart rate. Mm -hmm. That's what we talked about at the very, very start. Someone yeah. traveling 12 versus 10 meters with the same amount of energy yeah. expenditure. Yeah. Now, with the running economy, I think that's going to be affected by all, all of the training. Because the long, slow runs, which probably make up the majority of the training, you know, you're practicing the skill. You're just being more and more bouncy and you're getting more and more running specific qualities. Mm -hmm. uh, that on top of the S&C stuff is going to affect that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but then, obviously, the fast running sessions... You know, that's when you're really putting force against the floor. You're going to have to develop force more quickly. We will, we will talk a little bit about mm. gait, you know, running technique, as you might say, as well. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. we're hoping, I guess, that most people are not great runners, but confident runners, know how to run. Mm. I mean, we all say, oh, I know how to run. I know how to ride a bike. But there's a difference between riding a Tour de France and riding through the park. So it seems to me like if you... It, the focus primarily is on the VO2 and the lactate threshold, and then the economy will just start to develop and improve as a as a result of focusing on those two. As in, though, just the more you do the uh, the exercises, the more you 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 take the time to execute the program. That economy, by nature, will start getting mm. smoother, more efficient, more economical. In, uh, yeah. in a word, you know. Certainly. So much you get a better, you become a better runner by doing lots of running because running is well. This is a good the skill. Often you've often said that to me. If mm. you want to get good at climbing stairs, you've got to climb stairs. Just climb some stairs, you yeah. know. Well, everyone looks at S and C for being that magic pill, where really it's just that little supplementation, that little add on, which Can is going to make more? the Can it's going to make a, it's going to make an improvement of like I've gone being really crude here, but like five percent. But mm -hmm. the 5% is the yeah, difference perhaps huge. between me running yeah. 41 minutes or 39 minutes. Exactly that. Or, or, or the difference between you getting injured and not. Because if you're injured, you yeah. can't run. If you can't run, you're not going to get better at running. So it's, Say that again. That's really important because I think me certainly as just my characteristics, my personality, I've often been a playthrough injury, like no days off type of guy. And it's no days off. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it's kind <laughs> of like, I know sometimes I think, if I just pull back today, I can yeah. complete the rest of the week. If I go today, I'm putting next week and the week after that in danger. And I think, just saying it that sort of black and white, you can't, if, if you get injured, you can't run. If you can't run, you can't improve at running. Mm -hmm. So these are the types of things that are going to help me to plan for it. Mm. And therefore, I guess, hopefully the people that listen, but... And it falls into like the philosophy of this podcast, progress theory. Yeah. Progress theory is about small wins and being consistent. Mm -hmm. If you can't run, you can't be consistent at running. No, there's no point doing five great weeks, two shit ones, and then pulling it all together in week eight. Like, we want to have decent weeks, you know? Mm. And there might be weeks, I don't know. Because I, I haven't seen the plans that you've thought about putting together because I want to come come at this kind of fresh next week and run for it again. Next Monday. But, um, it's interesting for me to to understand this before. And I think actually running with this knowledge, do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, it's like uh, being able to actually just not talk, but actually feel it in the body. You know, that kinetic kind of contact with the floor, feel your heart rate rising and understanding what the body is signaling, mm. I think is a really valuable... 
Is that more of an understanding of what the program's trying to achieve? Yeah. Trying to achieve. So it makes you feel more like, oh, I understand this more. You're more attuned to what your, your body's trying have, to... Have we planned to... We're obviously going to do our initial test and then the full challenge, mm. making a system. Will we be, I don't know, are we going to be trying to hopefully stay on top of our progress on a sort of daily or weekly basis just to see if there's any... Do you know what I mean? Are we going to go from sort of zero to 100 or each week we're going to try and see if our, our metrics are improving? The data is showing a likelihood of either failure or success. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Is there, is there going to be a chance, you reckon, at four weeks to go like, where are we at now? Is, does the progression look good? Certainly. Well, the way I've progressed it uh, means that you're getting better, but not necessarily from testing. Okay. Because if you achieve that, it's mm-hmm. like you're fitter than last week because you clearly did that. Like you've progressed in this certain way. Mm-hmm. You've achieved last week, but you also achieved this week. Mm-hmm. This week was intensified this little bit more. Uh, and so I, I mean, there's going to be a balance between like intensity volume of work that we're doing, it'll try and peak at certain points and something else peaks at another time. The idea is that we just slowly get better and better. Um, and we get that by just, as long as we perform well in the sessions, mm. to me, that says you, um, we, we, we've got better runner. We've become a better runner. Yeah, um, just the process itself. Mm. I think people test too much. I honestly do. Okay. Um, I think test... I think testing is uh, important, but sometimes people test for the sake of testing. If you're not going to use that data, then it's no point doing it. So I mean, I can't tell any fucking clients message me going, look at my calories burnt, my heart rate's here and there, and I feel like saying, that's okay, but then you need to sort of print off a chart here every day, look mm-hmm. at it, observe, you know, why did this happen, why did that happen? I'm with you. I mean, I try and, I, as you can see, I don't wear anything, don't wear a Mizon or whatever, unless we're going to use that data to influence our decision. Mm. With the stair climb, you said go and put your Mizon on because I actually need to know what your heart rate is here, here, and here. And from those details, I can inform the next plan. Mm. I wasn't just putting it on and going, cool, 93. And, yeah, well, a lot of your Mizon information that I want to know is just to make sure that it didn't go up suddenly. So. It didn't. It didn't, so yeah. it was kind of like... And then it, like, it, during the actual climb, I fucking threw it away. Do you remember? I, I not threw it away, but you know what I mean? I was like, this isn't bringing anything to the table here. We've done the training. I don't need to know what my heart rate is. i just got to do this thing. Now, that's different. It was a different task or different challenge in itself, but it was crucial to inform our training. And I perhaps, first to admit, like uh, neglected that. It was only when we had a discussion before this podcast where I realised, okay... Now I see why the plan you gave me was influenced by that. And I was kind of like, oh yeah, no wonder. He was trying to find my like zone that I could maintain. Mm. If we're getting specific, am I right in saying that that level at which I wouldn't cross the threshold? Yeah. I just wanted to... Because there's a difference between testing and monitoring. If you're just monitoring, you're kind of observing what's going on. Mm-hmm. Testing, it's kind of like, okay, we want you to do this so we can get a particular figure so we can then base stuff off it. Um, that's not to say monitoring data, you don't make training programming decisions off that. You, you do, especially like, for example, if your heart rate suddenly went up, mm. it's like, okay, there's an issue here. 
so we need to make changes to the training but sometimes you're just monitoring what's going on making sure that the the program is doing what it's supposed to be doing gotcha. uh, but sometimes we're testing so like the vo2 max test there's there's a number of different tests i haven't even talked about and a lot of that was because i thought you know if we have other different challenges it'd be hard to like okay here's a new test mm -hmm. it does this let's see let's try something new and and gauge training by utilizing this new measure um but some of the there's like a three minute all-out sprint mm -hmm. more for a bike but that's a lot of a huge fatigue cost comes with that so if you're constantly having to do that to try and measure where you are mm -hmm. you're just gonna be knackered to do all the training yeah then you're not consistent in training yeah then you're not going to yeah. get a better runner because you're not consistent in training yeah so Very that's simple. that's why it's like okay the reason why we're doing uh, like a bit of a pre-test is just to see where we are. Like we could start with the program on Monday and probably still be okay, but it's just so we can have some form Absolutely. of measure, just for. And so is that the plan? Gigs, come Monday, like, come Monday, we're going to be doing the start of the program, which we'll explain to everyone else and, in the next podcast. Yeah. So I think the plan is we're going to break, as you said, each podcast down. We're going to cover something a little bit different. And today was more just an introduction to what makes a good runner what the game plan is with the podcast and who we are. Yeah, exactly. Um, so hopefully that's opened up a lot of questions for you and things and um, hopefully a little bit of excitement. And I just want someone else. We were saying, what's the aim of this thing? One person came to me and goes, I want to run a sub 20 minute 5K. I listened to your podcast. I did it by three seconds. Job done. That's mm -hmm. it. And uh, from a personal point of view, I'm curious to see what I can do with my body, um, with the help of Phil's mind, and I guess you're interested to see what your mind and your body can handle. If my body yeah, can yeah, handle it. Your body can handle what your mind says. But um, no, I um, I think this is going to be really cool. Is mm. there anything else you think that anyone would want to know right now with regards to this or anything they can be thinking about doing before the next one? Um, I think at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about developing skills, those skills which you can use for making decisions when creating your own program. And I think a lot of that information is actually going to come with the next podcast. Okay. However, to fully understand why you're trying to do things and where improvements are going, like changes to your body, mm -hmm. it's sometimes good to understand the science and the physiology behind. Like if I become a better runner, what's happened to my body? And that's what was the um, aim of this session. Like you talked about sort of like okay, or feeling more attuned to what your body was doing. I mm. think it's more around, okay, I understand why I'm doing this program. Yeah. It isn't just like, we'll do these runs, runs, okay, cool, but I don't know what for. Like, you don't have the buy-in because you don't understand why you're doing it. Mm. Having an understanding of the physiology behind these things or behind what makes you a better runner would hopefully make you more engaged in the program. Absolutely. Um, so, like, even though we talked about, like, a two max test, lactate threshold test, we can't do them, but the idea behind this is like, okay, let's understand them, but let's discuss other things too, which you may be able to use, um, which still then takes the, the understanding of lactate threshold and VO2 max, but you're training using indirect measures, which still has, hopefully, still has the same improvement in training, even if you were uh, doing those more lab-based tests. It's like, okay, we can't get them, but we understand what they do. And we stand that information. We're going to use heart rate zones to try and achieve a similar thing. Uh, and that makes this information accessible. Like most people have a smartwatch. 
So let's or try and, or something. Yeah. Let's try and let's try and create a program based on that, and then everyone else can have a have a go as well. Amazing. I'm excited, man. Me too. So, it's going to be good. Episode one, Progress Theory Podcast. We're done. Sign out. Peace. Fucking <laughs> roll.